Hello and welcome to the Geeky Medics podcast. My name is Josh Chambers and this podcast selfishly gives me an excellent excuse to interview interesting doctors and healthcare professionals from a range of different backgrounds. As I'm sure you agree, it can sometimes be difficult to know what to specialise in and in particular it can be difficult to know what certain careers are actually like in practice. With our guests, we drill down into why they chose the speciality they're in and what it's really like to do the job. In this episode, we're joined by Rahab Hashim, a diabetes specialist nurse from Western General Hospital, who quite honestly gives me a chance to ask all my questions about insulin and diabetes. But it's also a chance to explore what it's like being a DSN. I hope you enjoy. My name is Rahab. I work as a diabetes specialist nurse at Western Hospital, southwest of England. Mm-hmm. Um, our role is really, uh, I mean, I'm really lucky to be in Western in a way because it's a small acute hospital. So you end up as a specialist nurse doing, managing everything from a to outpatients to ITU. So we do yeah. really everything. Yeah. Uh, it's a team of two diabetes specialist nurses. 50% of my time is spent in the ward and 50% in outpatients clinic covering gestational diabetes, pump clinic, oh, wow. uh, type 1 patients, type 2 patients, uh, GB referral as in our consultant referral. So it's, it's really a mix, a bit of everything. And that mm. is quite good for the SN to have a little bit of everything. Mm. In bigger hospital, you might find the role only for inpatient diabetes specialists or outpatients and so mm. on. But we do, both of us cover a little bit of everything. Mm. Um, so very sort of much depends on on the hospital you're working in when you were training as a, as a nurse was diabetes always something you were interested in so i've been in the role for more than six years i think now uh all of it in western i mm-hmm. started as a um a staff nurse in a surgical ward and actually surgical always made a lot of sense to me and I decided even diabetes surgical now because it makes sense to me. Mm. Uh, but it's, um, even when I went, well, as a staff nurse in uh, general surgery, again in Western, so you do a little bit of everything in surgical ward because of the small size, you know, of the hospital. Then um, I went on to be about six in a medical ward for only a short period of time. And then the job came up as a development role. It was mm-hmm. I was interested in diabetes because it made sense, you know, like you, you kind of, me anyway. And I went for the job um, and it was a development role. So you kind of take in based on your interests rather than based on your uh, qualification or experience at the time. Sure. And a few people went for it and I was really lucky to get it. Um, after having it, it was like, um, you know, the development side of things. So I did a postgrad certificate with Cardiff University mm-hmm. and I've just completed my master with King's College. So you, you have the mm-hmm. opportunities after that to continue to, to develop yourself. And actually uh, so many opportunities available, not through the hospital, but through organization sure. uh, that deals with diabetes. So I suppose that transition from being a staff nurse to then, I mean, as a DSN being you know, sort of um, an independent clinician uh, in your own right and, you know, somebody sends prescribe and things like that. I mean, that's quite a big step, isn't it? Yeah, so it's it's massive learning. I mean, these I haven't stopped that last year, 
MSC. I, I did my prescribing. I did my MSC. Hmm. I think in all this, Josh, what you need is a good manager, a good you know team that you work hmm. with. And I, hmm. I was quite lucky. My um, my the other DSN was really brilliant. Um, uh, he's really for the service. She's been doing it for many years, hmm. and she was quite empowering, encouraging, kind of hmm. you know, hmm. uh, not afraid of other people developing in front of her, which I think was really helpful. Hmm. Um, so yeah, um, the opportunities came, and I went for it. But the transition was, um, you know, you're doing like um, I remember, like when was the last time I believe my consultant? It was when I first started, and then when my um, colleague DSN is off, then you think, who am I going to call now? Yeah. Let's try consultant but really hmm. that was only probably the first few months and then you kind of yeah um, find your way around things really yeah yeah and, and what do you enjoy about being a dsn the most uh a lot of things really um hmm. but i think you could be you could be the first person that this newly diagnosed type one or type two hmm. coming to see and actually you're the way you approach them the way you talk to them could could really affect the whole their life eventually. Mm. You know, their management could be really good or actually could be affected by the way you approach them. So you could be that special person for that patient mm. who um who they like support for them. You know, they could approach you, they could email you anytime. Yeah. yeah. It's quite rewarding, you know, it's um your role could involve empowering these patients, you know, to self-manage. Um you're supportive to the wards. You could be um, the one that you actually make sure the patients are safe. That's our role, isn't it? You know, to mm. keep patients mm. safe and make sure everybody acts, you know, within um, within these, you know, within their limits in terms of, you know, prescribing and in terms of the um, change of management. Uh, we prevent admission. We kind of reduce the um, length of stay in the hospital. Yeah. We improve the quality of life of patients with diabetes. So it's really rewarding. And it's interesting what, what, yeah, what, what you say about the, the initial diagnosis when I was talking to um, the person with type 1 diabetes, his you know, crystal clear memory was when he first was admitted to hospital, found out he had diabetes and then spent you know, several hours with a diabetic specialist nurse going through you know, how, to do, how to use your insulins and things like that and then just phoning him yeah. over and over again. So, you know, yeah, I suppose it's such a crucial moment in someone's life, you know, beginning Isn't of... It? You know, yeah. and then you kind of like that trust building kind of, you know, that mm. will be ongoing, the education that you, you know, see them and, and see how they develop. And most of them go on demand really well sometimes, you know, the struggle, I think, at the moment really is the psychological support for people with diabetes, which is almost zero, really. Yeah. Um, you know, I think in South Meat, uh, some hospitals will have psychologists which is yeah. great, but yeah. we don't, and the referral and the process, well, you know, be quite challenging. And that's 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 again something that came up, and it's really interesting. What do you what do you think um, specific specifically to obviously mental health is a big issue across the board, but to for people with diabetes, particularly I imagine type one, what what sort of mental health struggles do you think they deal with more than others? It's, it's something that is not going to go away. It's a twenty four hour mm. job. You're not going to have a day off. I think if you think about that, it's a lot, you know, like um, dealing with the insulin. If you forget the insulin, you are in trouble. If you had yeah. a hypo, you are in trouble. This is ongoing all the time. I mean, it's really, it's a lot of hard work. We, you know, we, we take things for granted probably, but when you when you think about their struggle, mm. um, you know, everything, I mean, we try and tell the patients to act or live their life as normal as possible. 
but there will be things that has to come to mind. You know, like mm. luckily most of the jobs now, there is no problem. If you have type 1 diabetes, go for it. Mm. But, you know, you have to be, you have to manage all the time. It's nonstop. You know, you go home and it's still with you. You go to bed and it's still with you. So it's, it's quite a lot of work. And people do struggle to cope, you know, um, like uh, the complications of diabetes. You have, I've had some patients, female patients telling me about the arguments they have because, you know, their partners think actually she's going to have a hypo go and take something and she would think actually I'm fine you know something mm. simple even mm. when your family care about you I don't think mm. it is it's a bad thing but it gets too much because it's so many things that they have to think about all the time yeah 24 7 job as you say yeah really it is full time all the time yeah, yeah. and so we've we've talked a bit about um the things you perhaps enjoy in the job but there must be frustrations too would you what if people were thinking about becoming a DSN what what are the worst bits of the job talking about inpatients and i think you know you said you as a junior doctor you struggle with insulin and i think because we do the job and our you know my colleagues really do value our role they are always grateful but i Mm. think it was it was left to us now so i feel like sometimes you know you progress you are a senior member of a staff but your knowledge is limited because it's always done by us and that's a shame uh, because Mm. you know you know you probably could have done it i don't know you could have, unless you have some interest i don't think like uh, many people would be actually asking the question is always just a referral to the dsm which is fine i mean i would like to know about it. if there is somebody that you think they need insulin please do let me know but sometimes i feel sorry that you know the junior doctors are not getting the knowledge that they probably would have had if we were not there mm. um the fact that the other, another re, um, reason for frustration, I think, is the um, the change of staff. So, you know, you go through the protocols with nurses, you go and do teaching sessions for new doctors, and we're just changing all the times, mm-hmm. and you feel like the mistakes are the same, mistakes happening all the times, the incidents aren't the same, because the staff are not the same again. So you can't say, I've told you so, I don't, because they're not here anymore. So mm-hmm. these are the things that are really worrying. But I don't feel like... In terms of nursing, I don't know about medical school, but the education wasn't really, um, it didn't cover diabetes. I don't feel like we had any knowledge about specifically about diabetes at the time when we did our training. So again, mm-hmm. you know, you take the newly qualified nurses, you really have to start with them from the beginning because the knowledge is quite limited about diabetes. Mm-hmm. That's really- uh, These that, are the main things really. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really interesting because exactly right, it will, um, you'll you'll just you're you'll just end up putting in a dsm referral yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what you which is i don't mind at all because you're yeah. you're so much better at it and you know i i might you know i might do something which i think is reasonable at the time and it might be right but it it might just not be gold standard you know it might not be a hundred percent the right thing to do but do ask me yeah ask i think mm. you know a lot of the times actually and i see some uh, junior doctors done the right thing, but I did it by two units. I did it by four units. Is that mm. all right? Yes, do it. And if you're not sure, do ask because that's the only way you're going to learn and you're going to be confident. Mm. And a lot of the times you find that actually what you're thinking is right. It's just having that confidence in doing what you think there's somebody else that could be doing it. You know, if you felt yeah, they need a lengthy assessment, they need to start new something, that's fine. Mm. That's our job. Mm. But if you wanted to know about it, if you wanted to manage the case, you know, uh, you know, some knowledge, and then mm. things will make more sense to you the more decision you make about it. 
um, do give us a call and just say, do advise me. And every DSN I've ever spoken to has been absolutely lovely. So I that and they've always, always been very willing to give advice. So I think this leads us on quite well to what questions I have about what what you feel junior doctors do time and time again wrong with insulin there must there must be things that you see over and over and over again and yeah and again because of you know they don't do the same mistake again twice so that's good of course uh but that's when we go through but but the new staff will rotate through and you'll have new that's true that's true so i would say um the wrong um the wrong time so remember i mean if you don't know this uh, mixed insulin if there is a number at the end of the name of insulin that's how much fast acting in the mix so you've got nova mix 30 30 percent of it fast acting right. patients might come and tell you i have my insulin at eight o'clock in the morning and at eight o'clock o'clock at night that's fine that's what they do at home because their meal the evening meal is at eight o'clock at night you mm-hmm. come and prescribe it you do eight o'clock and eight o'clock but think about our meals at the hospital it's at five o'clock they're not going to have a meal at eight o'clock so make sure this is actually written according to our meals and just discuss it with the patient tell them i'm going to do five o'clock just because you're not going to have any food at eight o'clock and so the nurses will see you eating when they give you the insulin or when you take the insulin so the time of insulin i see sometimes mixed insulin prescribed eight o'clock and maybe eight o'clock or ten o'clock at night yeah um that happens quite often and what's the resulting consequence of the blood sugars then if so you could them? you could end up with a high point in the morning because yeah. of the fast acting part, yeah, you could end up um, the, the control could be a bit, you know, fluctuating mm, blood glucose. Uh, but give it with a meal so the fast acting will work on the food rather than having high glucose, and then it comes mm. down and then mm. later by the morning, mm. uh, just in case. Um, another, I think, error that we see all the times, and uh, don't write um, you instead of units. Yeah, uh, I mean, you think you probably what of you? You've heard that over and over again. Mm. Oh, but oh my goodness, it does happen. It really is still happening. It is so dangerous. Um, don't do it. Another thing which I've seen recently as well: the concentration of insulin is different to the dose of insulin. We have obviously for years we had the concentration of insulin only hundred units in a mil, mm. and now we have the concentrated insulins that are used for people with high insulin requirements mm. so we have 300 units in the mill and 500 units in the mill so make sure if you're going to write the concentration make sure you write um the right concentration mm. i've seen on a couple of occasions recently that the patient on abazagla which is a long-lasting insulin on 10 units it was written 100 units 100 units is a concentration so think about the concentration. If you see somebody on 400 units, what are we talking about? Surely mm. there's something wrong. Mm. Uh, if you see somebody on 100 units, I mean, there will be maybe one or two patients who take that much insulin and they will be with it and they will be managing. But do question it. Don't mm. do, um, don't just write it. Uh, unfortunately, when you go on the system on connecting care, it will give you that it doesn't write the dots on the uh, on patient's record because the dots could be changed by me over a mm. phone call it could be changed by the patients themselves so all you can find really is the concentration don't think this is actually the mm. dose itself mm. their mistakes are i think the one that we see all the time and yeah please don't do it as well and that kind of is annoying now uh, that the patient comes and then we write a large 
you probably know that there are so many types of similar insulin now, the biosimilar. So they all glargine, but they have different names. They all need long acting. So I have patients who sit in for glargine. Glargine could be lantus, could be a basaglar, could be semigly, could be tegeo. So you have, you know, I've already started four or five types of insulin that are glargine, similar mm-hmm. to glargine. They know all lantus. Um, the nurses might give lantus, but the patient's actually on something different. So do not please do not write large in write the actual name of insulin if you if you're gonna prescribe. But that's something that I see quite often mm-hmm. um, in terms of the prescribing errors. Yeah, and uh, one thing that's become common, I think, is the thing that I get asked to deal with the most by um, nurses because it happens quite commonly, and this is. Uh, um, more common now because people are on steroids because of covid which is hyperglycemia yeah. and a type 2 diabetic and they might not even be on insulin when they come in hospital but then they you know you'll see them and they'll be running you know blood glucose as of yeah yeah high yeah. 20s yeah. and and actually even if you give a couple of units of novarap it won't really touch it so I, I wonder if we could talk just a, you know about what sort of things we can do when patients are type 2 diabetics with hyperglycemia so I don't know if you see the guidance about um, uh, for the management of COVID patients in mm. terms of the dexamethasone. Mm. If you haven't seen it, more than happy to email it to you. Mm. Uh, but for the management of people with and without diabetes, because yeah, you are right. Sometimes you know steroid exacerbates the but the glucose level, and then they end up with high glucose. And once mm. you stop steroid, they get back to normal most of them really. Mm. Uh, but insulin, according to the weight in that case, and like you said. Um, sometimes two units does nothing. So you might want to give it, you know, every six hours or so according to the protocol. But really, in terms of the steroids, um, for prednisolone, the guidance normally, I mean, um, you could have it for COPD and other things. Mm. It would be to treat with glyphosate as a guidance. And if that doesn't work, then you move on to insulin. Mm. The best insulin that matches the profile of steroid is the um, human eye or insulatar, so intermediate acting insulin. Um, with the with COVID, the the guidance is to jump to insulin straight away, don't do glycoside because of the pressure on the pancreas. Mm. So um, and then you have novorapid and you have a human eye. So you could start a human eye. The guidance is quite good in terms of the weight and how much insulin at the renal function you, you get good uh, recommendation, but it will it will have to be with the insulin, with the human eye and novarapid. And you are right, it does take a long time, but you have the chance to increase it because novarapid, it will act within half an hour and it will stay in the system for four hours. Mm. So you will know by, if you give it 12 o'clock, you will know by 12 o'clock that actually it's not effective. The four units I gave, I might need to give a little bit more mm. uh, this time. Uh, but it's very tricky, you are right. The main thing as well to remember with COVID is to actually write a stop date, even with COVID or with the prednisolone for other mm-hmm. respiratory diseases, you know. Um, the, the worry is that you start the patients on, on insulin and then they carry on, or mm-hmm. on glyphosate, mm-hmm. which is another disaster in terms of the high goal. They go home and then it's left. So make sure in the discharge letter that the GPs are aware if they can carry on with insulin or for another five days, if, you know, when they go home, we had some patients, only a few, maybe two patients that were discharged with um, with, dexam- uh, with, in- with prednisolone and, um, and insulin. Mm. Uh, make sure they're good follow-up, basically. 
call us. They might want a meter to go home with because they didn't have that issue before they came. Mm. It's very likely, most cases, but not all cases, that their blood glucose level will settle two or three days after they stop the steroid. Uh, but they need somebody to, to actually see them. Mm-hmm. So steroids aside, if someone is uh, has type 2 diabetes and then they come into hospital for whatever reason their, BM, their blood glucoses are high... The usual thing I see done by the DSMs is, you know, if over 17, give two units. If over 20, give four units. Something like that. Is that that's a common and safe type of thing to do in hospital? When, when so do we start we adjusting have, along? Yeah, what we have in our chart, we have four units, no rapid, if the glucose above 18. So mm-hmm. that is written just as a safety kind of net, you know, like, mm. like you said. Uh, doctors probably not aware how much is it two units is it four units mm. now we put it because most patients you know that will be keeping the patient safe over a weekend we don't have weekend cover maybe mm. um some patients i mean we i had type one who runs eight units of the long acting and maybe two units with every meal so four units might be too much for them mm. so try you know think about that as well maybe two sure. four units is not a bad thing to guess but Think about the weight of the patient, their insulin requirements normally. Um, you are on call and somebody called you about patient's blood glucose too high. What do you do? I think it's safe to give them four units of, of Novorapid until somebody sees them. Think about maybe fluids requirement. Mm. Um, be sure, that the, the thing that I see as well, and both the doctors and nurses, if the PR and insulin is prescribed, um, then they just keep giving it without anybody actually treating that. And then on the mm. day of discharge, you want them to go with no rapid not really they need to be so make sure if you mm. prescribe to somebody um, no rapid prn that is going to be followed that somebody actually let us know about it because they might be okay with just glycoside or some mm. tablets you know mm. uh things might settle after a while and they will need a follow-up so make sure you let us know but it is good i would say to use you know when they call you overnight and you are busy with millions of things something that you have you could actually give it as a stab dose maybe not necessarily on the uh, PRN side or on the weekends when there is no DSNs. I think mm. if you're going to start it, just say, make mm. sure somebody's referring the patient. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a really interesting point. When you prescribe as a PRN, they're just given and given. And they then... give it and without telling us, and they tell us on the day of discharge. And, I and then scream. actually, if they need to start insulin, they're going to need to be in hospital for another 24 hours to see how they go with exactly. it. And, yeah, whatever. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so yeah okay that's that's very useful um the other thing that i um get asked about a lot is like i feel like a, a like an agony aunt of, of insulin but <laughs> Come on, just, say it say it um is is when is when patients miss a, a dose of long-acting insulin for whatever reason so what what sort of things would you do then say that is a very good question and if you come across that it actually happens if they missed it for any reason, you didn't give it for a few hours, they called you, they said actually at one o'clock on the weekend, the patient's uh, insulin is due at eight o'clock. It is one o'clock now. What shall we do? Mm. So the patient dose is 20 units. Give them 10 units at one o'clock and wait until the next morning and give them 20 units again. This could be overnight as well. If you wanted to give it at night, you know, the patient's insulin is due at 10 o'clock at night, 20 units. You didn't give until the morning. Don't leave them without insulin. Give them 10 units to pick them up until the next So you've half, dose. half, you've been give them half. conservative with the amount you give. Exactly. 
not all of it because otherwise it will be short duration between the two doses and it mm. could cause them it takes about okay, three days for insulin to reach steady state so you could see a high ball later on mm. uh, it, they will need to monitor the, uh, the patient's glucose level so they will need uh, maybe a dose of novarapid especially if they have type 1 diabetes you could end up with a problem straight away mm. with high mm. ketones so they need to keep an eye uh, but give don't admit it until the next dose give them half the dose generally within three four hours you should be okay to do to give the insulin as it is uh, but if you felt actually it's halfway, you know, like I had 10 hours, give half the dose and carry on with the same dose over. Hmm. And that becomes more tricky when it's a mixed insulin. Very good point. So a mixed insulin is usually twice a day. Hmm. Yeah. So let's say somebody's going to theatres. They didn't eat. They have type 2 diabetes. So it was safe to admit their insulin. Uh, and they were going to theatres and the insulin wasn't given in the morning. Uh, they went and had their procedure and they are back at 12 o'clock. What do you do with the insulin? Obviously, it wasn't given in the morning because they were not eating nil by mouth. That could be, or it was missed last day. Mm. Um, at 12 o'clock, you could give them half the dose with their lunch, half mm. the morning dose, and at tea time, they could carry on with the same dose as they had before. Right. Um, you know, you don't normally give it with a sliding scale as well if they were on variable rate insulin infusion. You don't, you don't give a mix. Mix insulin. You mm. don't give them insulin because it runs with rapid insulin anyway mm. so if you started the sliding scale at eight o'clock you didn't give them their mixed insulin by lunchtime they were back they are eating you want to stop the sliding scale mm -hmm. you don't want to leave them without anything give them half their morning dose to cover them from lunch until evening meal when they have their second dose of the mixed insulin if that makes sense yeah so the important thing with mixed insulin is to make sure that when you give it they're eating to cover exactly. Yeah. exactly because remember what we said about the mixed insulin the number at the end of the name of insulin that tells you how much mm. rapid acting in the mix mm. so if they had the rapid acting without any food we could be in trouble mm. uh, so make sure mm. they eat and sometimes you get called about patients who's not eating their insulin is due what do we do so i i have that actually called probably a couple of days ago mm. and um I said, let's approach the patient again. Maybe it's too early. Let's try again at nine o'clock and at 10 o'clock, give them breakfast. Because if they had it around that time, that was still okay. Mm. Um, but keep monitoring. If the patient was type two, if the patient has type one diabetes, it's quite tricky. Mm. And we don't really recommend uh, mixed insulin unless they need somebody to administer their insulin in the community and then you mm. reduce it twice a day. Mm. If they have type one, you could actually advise on a study scale if the patient's not eating. Mm -hmm. It becomes... Um... Yeah, your your like risk is much higher when it's a type one diabetic. Because you, know, you could end up with DKA there quite is easily. No yeah, yeah. About it. Yeah, you could easily end up with DKA. Talking of now DKA, is there anything that you would want to put forward to junior doctors, medical students about DKA and about things? You know, because I mean, for for us, when I've ever started someone, the guideline is usually quite clear. You know, the mm -hmm. indications are quite clear usually. Um, what sort of things do we get wrong that you think we could improve on or sort of do further reading on with DKA? Well, I think with DKA, I've seen is the, um, so you, you know, you left the patient with the sliding scale, you came the next morning, the DKA is resolved. The mm. patient, obviously, there is a period they might switch from variable rate, fixed rate to variable rate. Mm -hmm. But you came with the patient's fine eating breakfast and he decided, actually, they don't need the sliding scale going everything and that happens all the times when you stop sliding scale think about what is there to protect the pain diabetes 
So um, if we don't start them on insulin, they're going to mm. end up with BKA again. Once you stop the sliding scale, the Novorapid is only active for probably four hours maximum. Mm. Mm. If you're going to stop the sliding scale without any insulin on board, they're going to end up with um, with DKA again. Mm. So don't stop the sliding scale without actually um, either starting insulin yourself if you feel comfortable or referring to somebody to um, uh, with some long acting. And uh, most of the times, if they have DKA, they are type 1, and therefore they will need uh, basal bolus um, mm. treatment. So make sure either you put the basil, which is normally, you know, um, lantus or something biosimilar, which is which are a bit cheaper. So you can prescribe, see what's available in the fridge. Yeah. Um, and make sure they are protected. Uh, in fact, if, when they come to the hospital with DKA, try and get, if you're not sure yourself, try and get somebody to start their long acting insulin as soon as possible, because it does take time to settle. Mm. Uh, but don't take everything away without giving them some insulin, because you're going to be back to circle one. You know, so actually, it's a, for you, it's about coming off that the DKA protocol yeah. and the sliding scale and things. That's when you see most of the issues. That's the issue. Make sure yeah. there is some insulin prescribed because really you have a small window. You, can, you haven't got plenty of time to play mm. with. Um, these are patients. They came in with DKA because they lack insulin. If you stop that infusion, mm. they're going to live on, really. Mm. If we don't give them an injection of insulin, it's mm. going to be a disaster. Uh, checking the electrolytes, you know, like the potassium. We have that problem with people low potassium, but it hasn't been checked for hours and hours. Mm. So make sure their their blood is, is checked, you know, every hour to start with the blood gas and then mm. every two hours. So these are the things that we don't do all the times. And right, yeah, that's probably um, an issue with uh, just, I suppose, just you know, on the wards. It's difficult to get a gas from someone so many times. I mean, it doesn't mean it doesn't need to be done, but that I suppose that's that's probably very why. true. Yeah, very true. Yeah. But most of the times, you find that actually when you come in, their potassium is really low the next yeah. day. So try and act to remember yeah, these things. Yeah. And yeah, you are very busy, so it's going to be like you know. But yeah, try but it's still, it does need to be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah, has yeah, to be absolutely. done, and it will delay things, and it mm. could be dangerous. So just mm. remember to check the electrolytes mm. when you do it. We also have producer Emma with us. Emma, did you have any questions at all? I have, yes. I was just wondering, I suppose, a lot of the stuff to do with insulin, I'm, I don't know much about yet, but on the kind of patient side, do you feel like you get good continuity of care with the patients you see? Sort of, do you see patients again and again, or are they coming in and out of hospital and it's quite variable, if that makes sense? So we, Like I said to Josh, we are quite lucky in terms of, the way the hospital. So I see somebody who's who's got DKA, new type one, and then I make them an appointment and follow them in the clinic, and we just keep seeing them um, do their education. We do mm-hmm. type one education course as well. So there is that continuity and there is that relationship. And in terms of their management, the only they have to see their GB once a year for okay. their what we call annual review in terms of their urine feed check and and their eyes and so on. But the their management is, is all of it is with us really so we do see the patients in terms of patients with type 2 diabetes we see them in the wards and then they um they might say uh i haven't seen my gb for quite a while maybe or or say oh your head is quite high when was the last time and they will actually say mm-hmm. we would rather come here so we kind of see them and then there is that continuity so we do see them so it would be me again see them yeah. in the wards and then see them in the clinic and following them if that's if that's what they yeah. want I guess that's quite nice because you're working in a hospital but you sort of get that relationship like you get as a exactly. GP 
with your patients. Exactly. As I said, not all DSNs do the same, but mm -hmm. you know, you could be in a big hospital where the inpatient DSN refer to the outpatient and you kind of miss that, but we do see mm -hmm. their progress, which is really rewarding. This has been so useful and I, re I really hope that the other people listening to it get the same use out of it. But these are just, as I said, these or the common stuff you see in as an inpatient DSN is the common stuff that exactly. I see and then exactly. you know struggle with. So it's, it's so useful to be able to ask you. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Very welcome. I'm really glad that you you know we raised that issue and you covered it that way. Brilliant. That was so useful and has already changed my focus when prescribing insulin and dealing with patients with diabetes. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more from us, then please do consider subscribing through your podcast provider. You can also follow Geeky Medics on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. We'd love to hear from you with suggestions on who you would like to hear from next. As always, thank you to the producers of the podcast, Emma Harvey and Lewis Potter.